I mean, email is not your biggest system of record of communications anymore. We're seeing four and five times the amount of traffic out of corporate on non-email channels. These are the Slacks and the Zooms we're on and, you know, WhatsApp. And suddenly the vulnerability there. Ask a CISO, how much money are they spending on all their alternative communication channels not named email? And a lot of the answers are zero or very little. And when you look at the rise of that traffic and you look at the rise of bots and the ability to interact with those channels in whole new ways of AI and generative AI, you have a whole new problem coming about that I think CISOs need to be aware of. And I know the adversaries are aware of it. I'm George Comedy, and this is First Watch. Today's guest is Dave DeWalt, founder and CEO of Night Dragon. As the former CEO of FireEye and McAfee, DeWalt has a long history with the cybersecurity industry. Since moving on from those roles, he now occupies a unique vantage point, looking at today's business problems from his seats on numerous boards and looking towards the future as an investor in new security companies and technologies. In full disclosure, Night Dragon is an investor in Safeguard Cyber. I talked to Dave about the intense year that was 2022 and we looked ahead towards emerging trends for 2023. The conversation ranges across geopolitics, corporate governance, and beyond. Let's get into it. Dave DeWalt, welcome to First Watch. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, let's start there. So 2022 uh, was a hell of a year for the cyber industry, I think, both in terms of incidents and changing fortunes. Um, so let's start. When you, when you talk with CISOs or other security leaders, how do you see the current economic situation as impacting uh, security spending or, or solutions procurement? Yeah, George, I mean, I think you summed it up. What it, what a year 2022 was, um, some ways very forgettable, in some ways very memorable. Um, we saw some of the, the biggest threat environments we've ever seen in the history of the cyber domain in 2022, you know, not just with the Russia-Ukrainian conflicts, but espionage activities around the world, ransomware activities around the world. You know, even terrorist activities around the world, and then obviously cyber warfare mm -hmm. uh, height. So, if you put it all together, you know, the threat environments at an all-time high. Uh, if you start to think about, um, you know, what we learned during 2022, we learned a lot about the risk environment, threat environment. So, in many ways, a very illuminating year. To answer your question, you know, from an economic point of view. You know, it was hard to see what we ended up seeing happen. You know, I do a state of cyber review each year at the beginning of the year. Uh, when we started 2022, you know, it was the golden age of cyber. And like <laughs> we had some of the greatest investments we ever seen, the most amount of M&A we'd ever seen. We had the highest valuations we'd ever seen. And of course, there was a lot of economic correction in that time period. But to get to the point, you know, the CISOs still see that cyber is mandatory, right? 66% mm -hmm. of all CISOs we've interviewed with, and that's a very big group, you know, said their budgets are going up, you know, 6 to 8% on average, roughly still growing faster than IT, but maybe not quite as fast as it had been growing, mm -hmm. but it's not going down. So, you know, an interesting year ahead of us from that point of view, but... You know, 2022 was illuminating for sure. 
Absolutely. And when we think about this economic environment, I mean, you you brought up um, a lot of the externalities and the geopolitical conflicts, but if we kind of look in our own shores and then even look further inward inside of our own companies, do you see uh, the economic headwinds as affecting conversations around insider risk? I know we saw a lot of that uh, when it dovetailed with the conversation about the great resignation and there was a lot of churn. I think we saw towards the end of 2022, especially with uh, layoffs in other tech sectors, that 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 conversation abated, but it changed shape, right? There was less quiet quitting because job insecurity was a little bit higher. But how do you see like the internal uh, threat environment change as a result of the economy? Well, George, I think, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now and insider threat in one of two form factors has been almost 90% of every attack vector or maybe even more than 90%. So the first form factor comes from an outside in where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're spearfished, you steal credentials, then you look like an insider. And basically that whole mantra of being able to, you know, essentially find your way in some way or another through an email or socially engineered, you know, capability, get access to somebody important, use their credentials, and then re-log in, move laterally, you know, that's been around for two decades. So even though it's an outside-in attack, you know, it certainly looks like an insider threat because mm-hmm. oftentimes when you do an investigation, it was an employee who was perpetrating some of the insider maliciousness, even though they didn't even do it themselves directly. And now to your point, you know, with this work from anywhere, work from everywhere, now with this great resignation, call it whatever added you want, we have a very interesting workforce that is not as easy to manage as it perhaps once was when we had big mm-hmm. walls and a lot of security defense in depth. So we see more insider and you put the economy on top of that. What have we seen over the years? A direct correlation of crime to a downward economy. And it just has to do with the hierarchy of needs. So, you know, again, you know, you have a rising insider threat and a number of form factors. You have a rising crime inf- environment to the economy. Uh, you know, again, I'm predicting the threat environment stays as high, if not higher than 2022 going into this this year. Right. OK, well, uh, let's turn back outward to to the geopolitical situation. We know that, you know, the critical infrastructure has been on high alert since February 24th, 2022, when Russian tanks crossed over into Ukraine. Um, we didn't see kind of a large scale cyber warfare that I think many had predicted, but we did see a ton of sort of proxy cyber criminal organizations uh, take on a a new level of attack. Um, How is that shaping how CISOs see the risk landscape? Because now we not only have Russia, we have some increased tensions in the Pacific. How are they factoring in geopolitics into their risk strategies? Yeah, George, I mean, for one man, I, I was surprised um, we didn't see more cyber weaponry used on the battlefield. We saw some. We mm-hmm. saw some new TDPs. But, you know, what's different about cyber? You know, when you use one of your most expensive cyber weapons, it's a once and done thing. Right. You know, as opposed to kinetic warfare, where you can fire, fire a missile off repeatedly 
And it could take longer to respond to a loitering drone or some other type of activity you might have on the physical battlefield when you're using them in cyber. You usually get one shot at it and then it's over. So do you want to use that complete arsenal um, in a kinetic war that's going on? And I think the answer in hindsight was we didn't see that. We did see a lot of new weaponry, particularly in the world of data warfare and information warfare, you know, which is very scary to me going forward, where, you know, not only are we like, hey, we're going to try to steal somebody's data. We're now going to not only try to, you know, access that data, we're going to wipe that data. We might also not just want to access data, we might want to manipulate that data, we might want to poison that data. And the world and the art of war turning to data is a bit of epiphany for a lot of people here. And what do we do about data access, data management, data privacy, that is kind of contentious to the security side at times. And so it's a it's a new battlefield for sure on that. And I think CISOs learned a little bit that, boy, we got to think about data more than we maybe ever had. We got to think about socially engineered attacks way beyond email more than we ever had. And there's a lot more entry points to go about, you know, this problem. And one other comment, if I could, you know, really proud of the public-private partnership that we watched happen. It takes a village, we always say, in the cyber, you know, governments working together with private, shields up programs were tremendously effective. The amount of vulnerabilities disclosed was an all-time high. In fact, it was almost uh, a magnitude higher than we had seen before. So a lot of the community working together really helped create better infrastructure and more secure infrastructure now fueled by regulatory pushes as well to keep that up. So, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger a little bit, you know, not to, to be glib about that. But, you know, here we are. I think we're in a much better place a year later from a cyber domain than we had been as a result of all the learnings. Yeah, I I agree that it feels less like we're kind of in our own foxholes, but, you know, more united in terms of the way CISA and the FBI and others are corresponding with the private sector and even the larger private sector partnerships like FSISAC, Health ISAC. Um, you, you brought up a, a point earlier um, regards to insider threat. You said social engineering. I think 2022 stood out to me that the old is new again, right? I think we've been talking about social engineering for two decades and and we saw criminal groups like Lapsus, you know, take relatively low cost, but really high impact um, attacks against very sophisticated organizations and, and, you know, basically slide through. Um, that that's preoccupying me, but you talk to a lot more people than I do. So interested to get your take on what is preoccupying CISOs, be that specific types of threats or or larger organizational risks. Yeah, I mean, think about what's happened um, over the last three years, right? I mean, we face one crisis after another, but you know the the pandemic with the resulting economic crisis, the mm-hmm. cultural crisis, government electoral crisis. You know, the power of information that occurred from that, you know, another economic crisis, you know, we've been through a lot. But one thing that we really, um, you know, sort of witnessed was there was a great migration of people to different locations. The Mm -hmm. work from anywhere, work from everywhere environment changed us a lot. The ability to uh, use your home computing devices 
<clears throat> both professionally and personally, created a whole new set of risks. Our appetite for new avenues of communications really rose. I mean, I think you know this, most CISOs know this, but you know, many times they don't have visibility to this. I mean, email is not your biggest system of record of communications anymore. We're seeing four and five times the amount of traffic out of corporate on non-email corporate channels. Mm-hmm. These are the Slacks and the Zooms we're on and, you know, WhatsApp and WeChats and, you know, 56 different channels. And there's a social media channel platform feeling like it's launching, you know, per week here. And so <laughs> our appetite for comms and communications that are encrypted in some cases, and it's hard to see what's being said. And suddenly the vulnerability there, ask a CISO, how much money are they spending on all their alternative communication channels, not named email? And a lot of the answers are zero or very little. And when you look at the rise of that traffic and you look at the rise of bots and the ability to interact with those channels in whole new ways of AI and generative AI, you have a whole new problem coming about that I think CISOs need to be aware of. And I know the adversaries are aware of it. So to your point of lapses and what's going on, I mean, spear phishing is an oldie but goodie, and it's going to continue with all the new changes we're seeing in the work from everywhere environment. Yeah, and and you brought up uh, generative AI, right? I think much has been made of ChatGBT and these large language models that sound very plausible. I won't necessarily say true because there's some issues with, you know, you can input the same query three times and get three different outputs, but plausible enough to be convincing. So, you know, how do you contextualize these recent um, AI advancements against that larger landscape uh, in cybersecurity? Edward, fascinating to me. I, I spent a couple of days at the CES show, mm-hmm. Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which was amazing, by the way. Um, the things you see at that event uh, are mind boggling, you know. I think I could put about 20 IoT sensors on my dog now. So <laughs> we, we, we've got everything you could want, you know, from your car to your airplane to your dog. But, you know, it's really interesting to watch the the power of AI for good uh, and potentially for evil. And at CES, there was a lot of discussion around um, the platforms of GPT and GPT-3 and 4 and OpenAI's strategy around that area, as well as trust and safety in a lot of, a lot of ways. So, you know, this is going to be a pervasive part of our world going forward, without a doubt, because what are we doing? Creating contextual understanding to a Google search, right, at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Right? It's creating a powerful AI front end, which can turn into powerful chatbots, which can turn into powerful you know, human augmentations that can integrate to every walk of our life from e-commerce to, you know, all kinds of remote process automation. And we watched the RPA market explode over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, UiPath, Blue Prism, all of them. And you start to look at that and scratch your head and go, okay, how are we securing the world of RPAs, the world of chatbots with the inclusion of generative AI and it's almost like we just talked about social engineering and all the new channels. Now you throw this other layer of generative AI on top of those channels and you have a whole new domain coming. And that yeah. domain has a really big gap of what the bad guys can do to what the good guys can respond with. And if something keeps me up at night, 
you know, that's probably it. Whenever you watch the biggest gaps between offense and defense, bad things happen. There's one forming in this space. You can feel it. And uh, we need companies to help solve it. Absolutely. So you occupy kind of three distinct vantage points, right? As an investor, as a former cybersecurity executive, and also as somebody who sits on and participates with corporate board governance. And so I kind of want to change tack here in terms of where that vantage point lies. And so as somebody who does sit on, on boards, have you seen any significant changes over the course of the year and, or maybe a a new perspective coming into this new year about how boards are thinking about cybersecurity? Yeah, George, you forgot to add and loves the market, right? So (laughs) yeah, there's a reason after 20 years that, you know, I love, I love, I love this space. I love giving back the mission, money, the fun, the learning all combined, you know, makes this a passion of mine beyond belief. I sit on the board of Delta Airlines. No, uh, no surprise there. I chase, I chair safety and security for the airline. You know, I see a lot of, a lot of interesting challenges, you know, very proud of Delta for a lot of reasons. You know, I've been on that board for 11 years now. Um, you know, one of the first real security professionals to go on a fortune 50 board. And, uh, you know, we take cyber and threats serious at the airline, uh, board audit committee, all kinds of risk, um, appetize, you know, knock wood, but, you know, you basically have a lot of top down voice from the CEO on down airline, but the conversations getting broader and deeper in the cyber domain on the boards, because we're seeing regulatory risk and threat risk Mm. all kind of culminating. Uh, The TSA has put out a number of amendments and regulatory types of suggestions and assessments needed in OT and ICS. We've seen the SEC doing things. We've seen increased executive orders. So it's becoming a boardroom conversation. It has to be more. And everyone yeah. says it's been one already. But boy, if you don't have it in your risk factors, you're not tracking it. And now with some of the new national strategies coming out from the White House, you may have to be accountable for it as almost an SD or an MW, like a material weakness or a significant deficiency as a control. So mm. they'll have performance components to the controls all in an effort to elevate hygiene, which is good for everybody. So yeah, it's top down for sure. And and do you see that maturity kind of going across the board outside of just your the committees that you chair, but like the concern is spreading to, you know, even board members who may not necessarily come from a a cybersecurity background. Yeah. I mean, cyber literacy is rising, although, you know, probably one of our biggest challenges is cyber literacy overall for all the spear phishing things we just talked about earlier, but, you know, boards are becoming more aware they have to, you can see the inertia at the NACD, the National Association Mm -hmm. of Corporate Directors, you know, audit committees are taking this on, risk committees are taking this on, uh, and we need that. And that's why budgets are continuing to go up despite overall budgets going down largely. So, you know, it's working. I mean, can we be doing a whole lot more? Is there certain critical infrastructure mm-hmm. that's further behind? I mean, if you look at financial services, you ask Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, he spends a billion dollars a year in cyber, right? So, you know, there's companies who really get this and really understand it. But then you get down to a small hospital in your local area 
They can't afford a chief security officer. They're not right. talking about it at the board, and then they get hit by ransomware. So we have more work to do, but it is certainly helping. Okay. Um, that actually segues nicely. We had an audience uh, question submitted, which was um, cybersecurity is slowly improving and you know, I think achieving higher levels of maturity and moving from subjective risk measures over to more quantitative risk measures. So uh, we had a listener ask, does Dave have any suggestions or recommendations for how to approach quantifiable risk? And I, I think I ask you this with both the investor and the board director hat on. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm about to say is Dave DeWalt's opinion. Okay. So <laughs> for sure, not my view from my various roles, but I mean, I think it's long overdue that we manage risk of cyber at the board level with controls that are assessed and accountable for. So much the way Enron WorldCom, if everybody remembers mm -hmm. what those were, you know, created a whole new piece of legislation called Sarbanes-Oxley. And, you know, 404, 302, 906 are tattooed on my arm here as a public CEO. You know, we understand revenue accounting. We understand the mm -hmm. criminal problem related to, you know, inaccurate financials. Well, over time, you know, we need significant deficiencies and material weaknesses and control points. I'm not saying make it so onerous that it becomes so expensive, but gee, should we have multi-factor authentication? Yes or no? I think yes. Should you be held accountable for having MFA? Probably. You know, mm -hmm. and basic things that just, it's like wearing your seatbelt or, you know, having a safety airbag or, you know, having basics need to happen. And I think we should be more accountable for them, especially as a public company. And right. on top of that, George, if I could, there's one thing for enterprises that are public to be accountable. There's another for the producers of consumer equipment, uh, mm -hmm. commercial equipment to also be accountable. We've talked a lot about um, the labeling program the government has, like an energy star or an underwriter lab-like brand that goes on devices. Would you want to plug in a device to your house that burns down your house? No. Well, underwriter lab helps protect that. And they, they do testing. Well, how do I know if I plug in a device into my wall and it doesn't allow the hackers to seal everything out of my house? Well, you should have a seal on there. They should do some mm -hmm. requirements. So that legislation and that regulation, it just has to become a pervasive part of our world. It has to be accountable accountable and in these performance. And I think, I think there's some basic steps we can take just to constantly improve the world that we live in. Yeah, that's great. Um, taking that, uh, that tack there in terms of understanding what's available out there, whether it's software or hardware, um, as we look ahead, as we proceed into 2023, what are some of the biggest trends or emerging technology areas that that you're seeing, I mean, fresh off of CES too, no doubt. Yeah, well, there's a lot. I mean, I could answer that with a with a two and a half hour response, George. <laughs> but, um, you know, you know, we track about ten focus areas at Night Dragon. Um, I look again, like I said, the biggest threats uh, and risks in the world, and the biggest dislocation to what commercial defense can do. We analyze a lot of that. You know, just to cite a couple. I mean, do I worry about supply chain? Yeah. I mean, 
It isn't just supply chain for a, a company the size of a Delta Airlines with, you know, being able to get planes off the ground and, and transportation on time. It's our software bill of materials. It's the shipped left and the shipped right of code and management of the supply chain. We just haven't really addressed and need to address because solar winds and log 4 j and, you know, name any attack like that of a nation state caliber. You can see that if we don't solve that problem, you know, we've got a big issue. Um, I believe that social area is really, I say social, digital channels that we use today, both personally and professionally, need to be secured. And we need to cross-correlate from each of those channels to one another. Because if I'm a bad guy, you know, what am I doing? I might send you an email, George. Oh, yeah, yeah. click on this and I'll send you a WhatsApp. Oh, wait, WhatsApp, switch over to, you know, Slack. And if you're not cross-correlating anomalous behavior, you're missing out. And that's what I learned in FireEye days. What did they do? Multi-vectored attack, come into email, mm -hmm. out through the web, come in through the web, out through email. So social digital channel management in a 360 way, detect, prevent, create visibility, understand it, solve that. And then to your point, you know, trust and safety of our data and information platforms, probably led by GPT and what's happening there and generative AI, but you know, we're gonna need some real infrastructure to make sure the data that we see is reliable, the data that we produce has the ability to be protected. And of course, this is a whole frontier coming for us is content integrity and trust and safety of our platforms and particularly the ramifications of elections and democracy and psyche and domestic violence and a lot of issues popping out of there. So big area for us to focus is trust and safety of information. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, I want to round home here to the end and, um, there's a lot in this interview that would keep any one individual up at night. Um, so I guess what I want to end with is, uh, you know, what are you reading? What are you reaching out for that's helping you kind of digest this onslaught of material that you're, you know, getting from the marketplace and from, uh, from your peers? Is, is there anything that's standing out to you as on the nightstand that's helping you uh, make sense yeah. of it all. George, I'll end it with a, with a positive, right? And, you know, we could talk threats and risks and problems, you know, and, and scary. But 2022 was a year of remarkable improvement. And I said this, public-private partnerships increasing, um, our ability to work as a village, work together, a united front. You know, look what we were able to do. Government working with private sector NATO working with its allies in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, us coming together as a world and creating peace in the world. Uh, Dmitry Operative is somebody I really look up to, the founder of um, CrowdStrike and formerly my chief researcher at McAfee, said, we don't have a cyber problem. We have a Russia, China, and Iran, and North Korea problem. And that's, in essence, what we've got to solve. We've got ought to solve geopolitical tensions best we can, peace mm -hmm. treaties in this world best we can, and we've made a lot of progress. There was $119 billion spent in M&A and cyber in 2022. There was almost $20 billion just through November in investments in cyber. I mean, we're making investments, we're building platforms, we're coming together as a village, 
where we're making change effective. We're creating visibility at a board. Like there's a lot of positive. We need mm-hmm. to keep it up. If we do another year, like we did in 2022 and 2023, we're going to live in a safer world. And that's what we all want at the end of the day. Wow. That is a, that is a great way to end things uh, on a positive note. Yeah. It's easy to get wrapped around the axle on the headlines, but um, thank you for giving the larger perspective of the improvements that we made last year. Um, Dave DeWalt, thank you very much for the time. I know you're very busy. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, George. Happy New Year, everybody, and uh, hope to see everybody around. Take care of yourself. That's it for First Watch today. Many thanks to my guest, Dave DeWalt. To hear more interviews with leaders and more spotlight episodes on newcomers, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Mattia Savaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.